this week on The Inswinger. When he gets it right, it's extremely hard to beat him. But the 4-2-4 did not work. And what confuses me most is why he didn't change it. And without a proper recognized six, those issues are just going to get accentuated. He's just got to get Rashford, Hoyland, and Anthony firing. I mean, that's a decent front three. This was a demonstration of Arsenal's ability to kind of put the performance aside and just get a result. Welcome back to the Inswinger episode six of season three. I'm Charlie DeMatteo, joined by Harrison McGlashan. Uh, we had a heavyweight matchup this weekend in the Premier League, some crazy uh, European games uh, the, in the days prior, uh, but we're going to get into all of that. But the big matchup obviously was uh, Arsenal versus Man City, and I'm going to get into it, Harrison's going to get into it, but point is, didn't really live up to the hype. Arsenal squeaked a win, which is what I predicted uh, on last week's show. But Harrison, what did you make of uh, the contest between these two teams who went at it in the title race last year? Arsenal, they were trying to stick with it in the title race this year. It was a big game. It was a big game. It wasn't a good game for the <laughs> neutral. Um, surprising a little bit, but I think when you look at it, it does kind of make sense the way the game played out. Both teams were feeling each other out, I think. It was it was cagey. Uh, and it was uh, you have to credit, I think, the defenses to for keeping it tight, for being organized. But, you know, like I said, for the neutral, uh, a disappointing display. I think to, to start with Man City, they didn't really look like themselves attacking-wise. And I think part of that is down to the injuries. We have to mention it. Yeah. De Bruyne, Rodri. They haven't won without Rodri, right? Yeah. Uh, since he's gone uh, – since he's been suspended, rather. Um, so that's clearly an issue because on both sides of the ball, right? Yeah. He's, he's just so important to that team. And they really just couldn't get Holland in the game. No. Uh, they, they really couldn't get much of their attacking players in the game, but especially Holland, he accumulated zero XG. So I think you have to credit Saliba a little bit yeah, because he, he kept game. him quiet. He had a brilliant game. But I think that will be looked at by Pep. Why couldn't we get our guys into the game? Maybe he was just a little too conservative with the game plan. I think Arteta was uh, a bit conservative as well. I think, like I said, it was cagey. It was, uh, you know, the teams were, were set up to, to defend, really. They, they didn't want to concede, first and foremost. That's what it looked like, at least. And I think, <laughs> listen, Arsenal, you could make the argument maybe they deserved it, but I think it really could have gone either way. I think it was ultimately a lucky goal. Mm. But listen, you need a bit of luck to beat Man City, yeah. right? And you need a bit of luck to, to win a Premier League title. So they won't mind that at all. They won't care. But that is ultimately what won the game. It, it was a deflection. I think Ederson, I mean, it's hard to say, really, but I think he probably saves it. Yeah. Um, it looked like it was going on target, but you'd like to think he could save it. So, And, and that was the deciding factor, right? It, it, it comes down to fine margins in games like these. I think you know, it, it was a very even game, and that's encouraging for Arsenal that without Saka, without Martinelli for a large part of the game, they, you know, they stuck to the game plan. They kept City quiet. Uh, they didn't really have that many moments but uh, they won the game, and, and that's the most important thing. So I think it's positive from, from that perspective, but I do expect and that we'll see more from both teams, uh, obviously, in, 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 you know, in games, even in big games, right? I think we'll, you know, when City play Liverpool and Arsenal play Liverpool, uh, Brighton, teams like that, I think we're going to see a bit more. I just think it was, 
both managers just know each other so well, yeah. right? It, it, it was almost a mirror display, right? They play very similar style, um, and, and it almost just, like, it was like they canceled each other out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you can talk about this game without talking about the players who are missing for both sides, uh, for that matter. I think for Man City, without Stones and Rodri and De Buena, that that's a good portion uh, of your spine missing. And without them, I do think that there's a fluidity missing in that City team. And you saw that with the inability to get Holland into the game. You know, we talked so much about early last year about, you know, everything kind of revolved around Holland, but... He was finishing everything, and everything around him was fluid and, and fast-paced. This kind of just felt like a worse version of that, and that makes sense because it was a midfield two of Rico Lewis and Kovacic as opposed to you know Stones and Rodri or Rodri and Bernardo. I know Bernardo played further forward a bit, uh, but it just wasn't right. And even for Arsenal, I think Saka is such a huge piece. I mean, I did predict Jesus was going to play on that right side, and he did, but again, that's not his natural position, uh, and they definitely didn't look as threatening as when Saka was on the pitch in, in previous games, even against Man City in previous years. Uh, but even, I was actually impressed with Jorginho a bit, because when I saw him starting, I was like, oh, here we go again. Like, no Partey. I know Rice is is in there, and he can do a bit of everything. And I think Rice arguably was Arsenal's best player. I think he was everywhere. Yeah, he played well. And that's kind of the game you buy him for. And Raji wasn't even playing. So, obviously, Rice had the ability to, uh, you know, come through and, and show what he has on a big stage, but if you're Arsenal, I think it's just a ma- it's just a turning point, I think. I think it is, because when you looked at this Arsenal team and the signings they made and all the Raya situation, the Timber injury, the Havert signing, it's like everything kind of seemed to be going a little haywire in terms of, not in terms of results, because results were still coming, but in terms of mood around the club and performances. And this was a demonstration of Arsenal's ability to kind of put the performance aside and just get a result. Because I remember... They played Man City at home two years ago when it was that season where they, they almost got to the Champions League but didn't, and they played brilliantly, played them off the park, and Rodri you know, scored the winning yeah. goal in the 90-plus minute, and it was just like, how did Arsenal lose that game? Yep. So, yes, Arsenal could have played better, and City did not have their best players available, but it doesn't matter for no. Arsenal at, at this stage. And what they've gone through against this City team, uh, it's, it's so big mentally for Arteta to get one over on Pep. I mean... And just as a club, Arsenal haven't won since, I think it was like 13 straight losses, something crazy like that, since yeah. 2015. Oh, they haven't beaten them in Giroud ages. scored the winner last time <laughs> they beat City. That, that just goes yeah. to show yeah. how long it's been. So, yes, it wasn't the prettiest game by any stretch of the imagination. It was a, it was a snooze fest for a large part of it. Um, they but won't care. They will not care. It's uh, a huge you, boost you've got psychologically. Yeah, psychologically in the table. It's like, okay, yeah, we're back here. We took the blow last year. We're back. We can do it. And we can do it. Yeah. So that's that's the big thing. And I do think the title race is back on. One more point on this. Does this result change anything in the title race for you? Because I've heard of a lot of people saying, you know, I still expect City to win the league comfortably. Does that – do you share that sentiment or do you think it's more significant than that and that Arsenal can, you know, take that next step against City this year? I think I think they have the capability to do it. They were so close last season. I think there's going to be even more fuel to the fire, if mm. you will. So I, I think, like we said, I think it's a huge boost. We know what they can do on the pitch, but I think it's a huge boost mentally, yeah. right? They have the bottle to get by the best team in the league. They just beat the best team. They won the treble, right? So I think just mentally that's going to be huge for them, and maybe that's the boost they need to go all the way. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I still wouldn't say... They'll they'll trump City to the title. I just think 
that City have too many pieces, and I, you'd be foolish to bet against Pep. Yeah. Like, we've seen it multiple times. That being said, I made this comparison earlier in the year uh, in regards to this Arsenal team and that and Klopp's Liverpool team when Liverpool did beat City to the title. You know, they, they ran them close one time. They got results in the Champions League. Maybe now we see them you know, lose this title by a point. Yeah. Whereas in the final three weeks of the season, it was already decided because they had collapsed by then. So you're hoping Arsenal avoids that, uh, you know, late, yeah. late season collapse. Yeah. Uh, but moving on, uh, it was a great week for the hosts. Uh, the hosts being <laughs> us of the show. It was. Uh, a couple good results for West Ham and Everton. West Ham uh, in, the, in Europe had a good win away against Freiburg. Uh, and then a tough game at home against Newcastle, who just came off a big win in the Champions League against PSG. But... Let's get into Everton against Bournemouth because I know you've got plenty of uh, stats. I think you want to talk about in Everton, some crazy stats related to XG. But the important thing is you got three points against a struggling Bournemouth team at home. What are your takeaways from the uh, performance? Yeah, really, really pleased. Um, I think just to touch on Bournemouth, I thought they were really poor. Mm. And I think the fans recognize that that is a team we should be beating. And it is a team we did beat. We got the job done. And we played really well. Three different goal scorers is encouraging we we wondered where the goals would come from this season james garner has really stepped up in the last couple of weeks he got a goal against villa got another goal got a goal against bournemouth at the weekend really nicely taken finish you know he could have laid it off to to calvert luna decore decided to go all the way himself and i think you could highlight a lot of individual performances but what's most encouraging for me is how we looked as a team right because we all know you know we've got a few guys like onana's a good player james garner pickford but as a team, at times, we haven't looked cohesive. The midfields looked imbalanced. The defenses looked shaky. It was the opposite of that on, on Saturday. We, we looked like a balanced team. Having two wingers in the side really made a difference instead of Garner out on the right. Jack Harrison came in and just scored, looks like an Everton player. Looks a like a Deitch player. Scored a great goal. Yeah. So I think he's going to be huge for us. I think he fits the team really well with McNeil on the other side. And now you're looking at the bench. You're saying, okay, Danjuma can come on. Beto can come on, right? So finally a little bit of squad depth, which I was really concerned about and still am, by the way. I think if you get a few injuries, you know, you're you're playing playing people out of position again, right? But back to the game, the performance was really encouraging, right? We finally – and I I keep saying it every week. You know, I've – if we take our chances, I think we'll be okay. And right. and on Saturday, we, we took them, you know. So we're creating. And that's something I couldn't say last season. Right. And you have to credit Deitch there. I know fans have been frustrated, but we are creating. And I know people are bored of the XG. But listen, we have more expected goals than Man City this season. Right. You know, and what does that mean? It means you're creating chances. Yeah. We don't have the guys who can finish them like City do. But if you've got a Calvert-Lewin in the team and if, if Decore can continue to – you know, get his five to ten goals a season, then, you know, I think you're fine. I think you're you're comfortably mid-table, right? It's it's whether we can stay fit. I've talked about that in the past. And it's whether we can continue to capitalize. Against Luton, we didn't. Against Bournemouth, we did. Uh, and, and we won the game, and we won it comfortably, defensively as well. Ugh, I have to talk about Jared Brantley. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you've seen much of him this season, but just looks like, you know, he, he looks like our next John Stones, right? right? Just left-footed as well. He's, he's just got, you know, United and City sort of sniffing the around The only experience I had with him, him was my Everton football manager save a couple years ago. <laughs> there you go. He did make it for me there. There you go. He looks fantastic alongside Tarkovsky. You know, there's some question marks over the fullback positions, but Mikalenko's playing well. So, 
Listen, I, I've been I've been a big fan of Deitch. I think more than most Everton fans, I've, I've backed him, and I, I said I can see what he's trying to do, and mm-hmm. I can see the underlying numbers are there. And on the eye test, it's it's been kind of there. And against Bournemouth, I think it all finally came to fruition at home, which was important because we haven't won a game at home. So I think mentally it's huge. I think for Deitch it's huge. For the players it's huge. It'll give them that confidence. Um, and it was just it was a much needed win, and it was it was a well deserved win as well. Yeah, good to see for you guys. I think because if you're going to be mid table, uh, you have to beat the teams that you're quote unquote like su- supposed to be beating. Yes. And that's yeah. been a, on what I get into West Ham. That's been a trait of ours that's really been able to sustain. You know, when we finished sixth and when we finished seventh, it wasn't necessarily that we were upsetting the big boys away from home or even at home. It was just like, can you beat the teams you're supposed to beat? And if you can do that, then you're going to be safe, and that's going to give you the springboard to move forward. Uh, moving on to West Ham, uh, it was a, a really entertaining game for the neutral. A bit of a frustrating one if you were a fan of either team. Uh, West Ham dominated the first half uh, against the Jordy boys. Uh, um, Emerson had a great assist. Suchek got another goal in the first half. And then we came out flat in that second half. Allowed Newcastle back into the game. Some questionable refereeing decisions. Bruno Gamares probably should have been sent off in the first half for two yellow cards in quick succession. He didn't. Uh, a soft free kick was given away, which led to them getting the goal, and it just felt like the air was kind of sucked out of the uh, the stadium. Then they got another. It was Isak. Some real quality on the ball from Trippier. Uh, but then game changed around 70 minutes when Mohamed Kudus came on. Uh, the Ghanaian attacking midfielder we got from Ajax. He subbed on for Suchek. You know, Suchek did his bit, played well, got the goal. But you bring Kudus on, and it's just something else because he just has that turn of pace, that something-out-of-nothing skill that we just don't have in the team. And against a Newcastle team which likes to press, man-on-man press, they're going to be aggressive. If you have someone who can break that, he unlocks the entire defense right away. So he, he was huge there. Took his goal great. So foul, got another assist. We're talking about the checkmates. Uh, getting it back into their you know their best yeah, form back that was form. big yeah uh, but it was great to see kudos get his first goal in the prem he scored a couple in the europa league uh, but you could just see it meant a lot to the squad for him to get the goal he's the big signing he's the social media has been all over like he, he has some uh his favorite Ghanaian like rap guy his <laughs> name's stone boy he was in attendance at the game so Seems. he scored it, it, it was good vibes Feel that, good. that's yeah. that's the theme about west ham right now it's kind of like Bowen has just signed this new mega contract, yeah, seven-year deal, no release clause, and it kind of seems like he has seen Rice go. He won the trophy, and they took two different routes. Rice was like, you know what? I want to play the Champions League. I want to test myself against the best. And Bowen, I don't think it's because of lack of ambition that he has stayed. One thing he said in his press conference was, you know, West Ham took a chance on me in the championship when no one else would, so it's only right I repay that faith. And we right. don't see that that much. You don't today. see that. I love it. It's I the do same love with it. Pickford. And is the fact that he is, you know, his his soon to be father in law is probably one of the most famous West Ham fans there is, <laughs> and Danny Dyer. Maybe that's Maybe. influencing yeah. it. I don't know, but I do think he genuinely loves the club. He's gonna be, you know, at minimum a cult hero for the goal he scored. Oh yeah. Against in, in Europe uh, in the Conference League final, and now that he's gonna be here for this long of a time, you think. He can really could you know, stake his game. Could could be a legend. He's already won a trophy. You're talking about silverware at West Ham. You're like you're in that category already. Of course. Um, so he played well. He could have won the game in the 93rd minute. Unbelievable save from Pope. It was Bowen, classic him, cutting in on the left foot, uh, bottom you know bottom right corner. Pope made an unbelievable save. Ben Rama couldn't bundle it in. But you take that point against a Newcastle team who just mopped the floor with PSG and have quality to get a point. 
You're sitting pretty in seventh, 14 points. Only losses of the year are to Liverpool and Man City. You'll take that. You take that. Yeah. Um, so it's really positive stuff. Like I've said before, it's Moyes getting back to what he knows best. There seems to be a better locker room atmosphere this year as opposed to last year. Uh, Zuma's doing a, dr- a great job as captain. Um, Emerson has probably been our best. He was probably our best player in Prague in the Conference League final. He's continued that. His relationship with Pacata on that left side, I mean, they're like best buddies off the pitch because they both speak uh, Portuguese. Um, so for, for them, that to be translating onto the pitch is huge. Um, and now the only real dilemma we have is where the hell do you start Mohamed Kudus? Cause it, it's a good problem to have. It is. Uh, it could be for Suchek as that like roaming box-to-box. It could be for Antonio as that striker. We don't know. Um, but it was a good result to come back when it seemed like you know we got the wind knocked out of us. So that, it was good signs from us there. Yeah. All right, moving on. Speaking of getting the wind knocked out of you, I mean, Man United pulled <laughs> off one of the most ridiculous results and comebacks I'd ever seen. They were at home against Brentford, playing pretty crap, playing like we've seen them all season, a lot of the ball, not many chances. And then Scott McTominay, I don't know who converted McTominay from a striker back into a midfielder in his youth, but they have blood on their hands because this guy can just score goals. Yeah. I don't really get it. But well, he used to be a striker. That's what I said. I'm saying yeah. whoever whoever yeah. made that change, yeah. it's a problem yeah. because he can he has good instincts in and around he the does. box. But what does this what does this result mean for United? I mean, is it really a sign of anything, or is it just one of them kind of fluky old trapper results? I think it's fluky. Yeah, I think it's fluky. I think first of all, the first goal they conceded is is just poor. I mean, we're seeing a lot of individual errors. You know, Casemiro again. I don't think he's been at his best. Gives it away. Brentford have a man advantage. Lindelof with a dreadful clearance, and then Jensen, you know, has a go. And I think Onana should save it. You know, I just he's really he's trying to parry it wide. It, it doesn't make good contact. It's just it's a bit of a mare again. I mean, yeah. listen, I, re- I Onana. I think there's a goalkeeper in there. Like we, we've we seen saw, him. We've seen it in the Champions League final. You know, I mean, like it's just I don't know. United. I mean. It just does it swallow you up a little bit? I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is there. We've seen goalkeepers struggle there in the past, but you know. Anyway, back to the the performance. They really didn't threaten much in the first half. United. I thought they were better in the second. I think Amrabat moving into midfield is 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 better. Gives yeah. you more control. I mean, he just looked dreadful left back. It's totally out of position. Doesn't know where to be. So I get it. You know, Ten Hag. He's he's looking at it, saying, my defense. I've, I've got nobody. But, you know, I think you have to play him in midfield now. Uh, I want to talk about Garnacho a little bit. I think every time I watch this kid play, he comes on and affects the game. He did it again. And it's unfortunate that he has to play in, in the star boy Rashford's position. But, you know, I mean, could you play him on the other side? Like, I think there is a role for him in this team that's, that's bigger than the bench, I think. I mean, every time I watch him, he affects the game. He changes the game. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the year when Hoyland was hurt and Rashford was playing through the middle, uh, Garnacho was starting on the left. And I don't think he looked as good starting a he game. He might just be an impact sub guy. But maybe. he is he is better than that because He's, yeah, he has this, you know, fast twitch way about his dribbling that he just – He's so unique in and around the 18-yard box that he's dangerous. And if you're Ten Hag and you're looking at the mess that is your current right-wing role, whether it's the absence of Sancho or Anthony. Anthony is back. Yeah. And he loves them. 
Right. So, a lot of people don't, but he does. And that's so part he's of the, play. I think that's part of the reason what happened with Sancho is he thought, you know, Ten Hag was was favoritism with yeah. uh, Anthony. But Garnacho, you know, obviously got the assist. And yes, there is something there, I think, beyond a bench roll. Yeah. Can Ten Hag figure it out? Is it, you know, a two up top with Rashford and Hoyland and him as a left winger tracking back? Does Maybe. Rashford need a, a spell? On the sidelines. Maybe. A brief spell. You know, does you give Garnacho a game in, in Europe and just see what happens. Yeah. I don't know. But I think it's all about McTominay, this yeah. game. I mean, listen, talk about clutch. Yeah. I mean, that's the definition of clutch. I mean, he has been playing really well for Scotland. He I does seems get to do well for them. a big goal once in a while. But, boy, did Man United need that. I mean, it wasn't pretty. They left it awfully late. I think Brentford, oh, it's cruel on them. Cruel. It wor- Their plan worked for 90 minutes, but United found a way. I mean, listen, they, as they so often do, to be fair, I think I think they have a lot of work to do still to get back on par with those those top four or five teams. I think the side looked more balanced. I talked a little bit about Amrabat, but I, I'm not buying that United are back, right? I just think they scraped the win. I've said Ten Hag deserves more time, and, and I think maybe this can kickstart something. But I think he needs to have a think about this team over the international break. And he's just got to get Rashford, Hoyland, and Anthony firing. I mean, that's a decent front three. Yeah. I, you just, I, I, I want to see more production. We saw them create against Galatasaray, but then at the other end of the pitch, you know, it's just they, they let themselves down. So it seems like one or the other isn't going to work yeah. in any given game. Either d- the defense, which is injury riddled, lets you down, or, the, or you just don't create anything. It's very, very inconsistent at the moment. So... Um, I think the balance. It's just, yeah, it, it, he needs to think about the the starting eleven, the the style of play. Yeah. Because I think he's had to pivot since the start of the season. I think he went into the idea where okay, here's my team, here's how I'm gonna play, and now the injuries have come in, and he's had to go. Oh shoot, I gotta go back to Plan B, or Plan C, and it's just not working. No, I think it all stems from the balance in the midfield because I think last year when Casemiro came in, everything kind of just worked from there, but. With the Mount signing and the Amrabat signing and Erickson kind of coming off the bench, kind of not Mainu, this youngster coming in, he has to find out what his best midfield is because I don't know if it includes Mount, Bruno, and Casemiro. I think it could be Mount out on the right wing. We've seen him play there for Chelsea. Mount's been playing well for them, Yeah, I have to say. Or as a number 10. So I don't know what it is because I feel like you need legs next to Casemiro, and Amrabat provides that. So you'd like to think a double pivot of Amrabat and Casemiro with maybe Mount ahead of them or Bruno ahead of them and then the other one on the wing, that maybe is the direction. But I think, like you said, this was kind of a bit of a fluke result. I, I feel for Brentford fans because it sucks the way this game went, um, but that's the Premier League, man. And you have to just play to the whistle, play the full 90-plus. Yep. And uh, United, only thing I'll say on them in terms of what this result could mean is maybe you get some kind of morale boost, yeah. feel-good factor, because yeah. everything's just so negative, whether it's on the pitch or off it. It's just such a dreary time yeah. to be a United player or fan or anyone involved with the club. So if this can re- result can really boost morale, then maybe it's the start of a run. Okay, uh, moving on. Brighton and Liverpool, two Prem teams uh, in the Europa League, squared off this weekend uh, 2-2 draw, and the, the story of the game was the defenses. And I, my question to you, Harrison, and I'll answer it myself, is do each of these teams' defenses limit what they can do this year? Because I think when we talk about Brighton, we're like, wow, yeah, Brighton, up and coming. 
But when we say, can they really get top four? It's results like this where their defense lets them down and they are leaking goals a bit. We've seen it in Europe too. Is that going to be a hindrance on them finishing in the Champions League spots? Because that has to be the next step. Right? I think for Brighton, yes. Um, there's just there's there's teams ahead of them, like Liverpool, Arsenal, City, and and Spurs at the moment. Yeah, um, we'll get the Spurs next. Who who are better than them in those areas of the pitch? So so yes, that I think I think that definitely could be a factor. And I think when you throw in those extra European games. Uh, it's definitely a factor, right? Because they just that squad hasn't hasn't coped with that. I think they've got some nice depth in attacking areas, but they've got good defenders first and foremost. But it's it's not. I mean, <laughs> Adam Webster, Lewis Dunk, they've been there when they were down here yeah. in the table, right? So I don't want to write them off, but it does remain to be seen whether they can cope with this level, right? I think Lewis Dunk's a really good player, but you know, has he been tested in Europe yet? No. Right, and has he had to play Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday? No. No. Right. So, so, you know, not writing them off again, but that's going to be a factor. We've seen it with teams. The European hangover, it is a thing. So, so yes, defensively there are concerns, but I think there's a there's a big chance for Brighton to claim fifth, which could be a Champions League spot. Could I don't be. think they will get it because of this coefficient uh, thing, right? Where they're basically giving bonus points to teams who have done well in Europe yeah. in the past. So again, I'm not sure how that works, but but I think fifth and fourth because you know Spurs, it's it's only eight games in, right? I mean, they, I don't think any of us expect them to challenge City, Arsenal, and probably not Liverpool either. I think they're, I think over the course of a 38 game season, you'd like to think that they'll be below those teams, right? So I think Spurs and Brighton are probably going at it for fourth and fifth, and I think right now Spurs are better than them. So, so there's a huge opportunity for Brighton there uh, to, to claim that fifth place, which could be, could be a Champions League spot. For Liverpool, I think we, we've said it. We said it with Coach Nylon. Uh, they're going to create a lot. They're going to score a lot. It's whether they're going to keep clean sheets. Yeah. And I think <laughs> the answer right now is uh, no. I don't think they're going to be amazing defensively. And I think you have to be so good in all departments of the pitch to beat City, yeah. right? And that's ultimately where Liverpool want to be. I don't think they will get there this season because of, I mean, partly because of that, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we, they have the attacking production. I just think defensively and in midfield, um, you know, they don't have that Henderson and Fabinho to cover for a guy like Trent, yeah. right? That inverted role. Henderson did so much dirty work off the ball, and the, and the, the system was just perfect, and it just clicked. For, for you know probably like three years and they were brilliant and the only thing that let them down was City were in front of them right right so uh, they just don't have that they haven't quite figured it out I don't think they quite have that personnel in in the number six role and Coach Nyland was saying that yeah and we were like well is Gravenberg the guy doesn't seem I mean listen it's early seems days more box to box but he seems like he's playing further forward yeah. and and Endo as well is is not the guy so I just think it's it's not going to happen for them this season in terms of a title charge. I, I just think they need that missing piece. Yeah, I don't know if... When I think of Klopp and that those teams that you described with Henderson and Femi doing all that dirty work, the way City controlled games is slightly different to how Liverpool controlled games when they were going at it. I think City, like I say, they have a stranglehold in the game and you they suffocate you with their pressing and their passing and you're just kind of like, what do I do? Yeah, Liverpool... 
it's almost a bit more high paced because you'll get the odd chance to break. Like Coach Nine was saying, they are susceptible to the counterattack. Yes. And when VVD was in his pomp, and he's you know he's still obviously an elite center back, but at his best, his recovery pace pre you know Pickford injury uh, is different to what it is now. And without a proper recognized six, those issues are just going to get accentuated. And Brighton Brighton uh, attacked them this weekend. I mean, yep. It was case in point. That would could have been a game where Liverpool get three big points on the road against a really good team, but instead it was a draw. And it's a good point. You respect the point. Um, but other teams have trouble Brighton there. West Ham went there and won, and they hit them on the break, took quality, right? So did we last season. Exactly. So for Liverpool, we'll get to Tottenham. I think Liverpool are going to fall short of winning the league, like we said, because we what we've discussed is six. Brighton, I'm starting to get more concerned about their defense because it's not just a one-time thing. I think it's a, it's a symptom of the system. And what I mean by that is they are so forward-thinking and they are so good on the ball it's only natural for, as they progress more, the teams they're coming up against are going to sit back more, and they're going to be susceptible to that odd mistake they made in playing out from the back, which we saw against Liverpool too. So I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how Deserbi adapts to what has been a great start to the season. But can he look at you know their leaking goals and make a tweak or two without compromising their offensive yeah. output? And that's going to determine where they finish this year, I think. Uh, it's going to be really interesting, though. It was a great game. All right, last but not least for the Prem, <laughs> opposite of least, top of the table, Tottenham. After eight games, 20 points, a brilliant start to the season under Big Ange. I mean, what's stopping them from being in the title race? <laughs> they're not playing in Europe. They're out of the Carabao Cup. They're not going to have sure. midweek games. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I guess the FA Cup, but like what's what's stopping them other than a big injury? What's what's stopping them is 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 depth. Okay. Right. I think Madison is an injury prone player. Um, Son can be. Romero can yeah. be. And if any of these guys go down, if any of these guys go down, they're in trouble. Maybe I mean, listen, Ange could surprise us even more and play. Somebody up there, and Richarlison could hit form. I think he's struggling. Uh, you know, Spurs fans are beginning to to turn on him a little bit, but depth is the issue. You know, and you t- I mean, it's just here's the thing. Pre City, I think everyone, and maybe Tottenham factor is is a thing, but just look at the squad, look at the way they're playing. Pre this Pep City era, you look at this Spurs team on this run, and are like, yeah, they can do it. Yeah. But now you just have to be so good. Uh, lucky as well to beat a team like that and to beat a team like Arsenal and Liverpool. Like, those teams are all as good as Spurs, if not better. Right. That I just, it, it has to be a perfect, perfect storm. And I just think you don't go 38 games uh, without an injury, right? right? I mean, I just think if Romero and Van de Ven, if that partnership is broken up, you're in trouble a little bit. They have some depth in other areas. You know, midfield, Hoybier can come in, but he's not a Basuma. Basuma is so key for them. Son is so key for them. Madison is. So I think maybe they can do some business in January. They get to January. Bentancourt comes back in. Yep, he has and, and they get somebody else who can contribute attacking-wise. Then you're starting to think, okay, maybe. But again, do they even get to January top or second in the table? I don't know. So... So for me, depth is the issue. It's just it's so impressive the way they're playing, but yeah, there's still 30 games to go. It's it's hard to see them doing this for that long. Yeah, I'd agree on that because I think right now everything is clicking. Uh, 
personnel is clicking, style is clicking, like personalities are clicking in terms of the harmonious atmosphere in the dressing room. And like you said, if one of those gets taken out, I do think it's a different story. And yeah, if Van de Ven goes down or Romero goes down, it's like, okay, is Eric Dyer coming back into the team? If Basuma goes down, it's like, okay, is uh, Oliver Skip coming into the team? If and It's not nice to predict injuries, but unfortunately, that's what defines titles. Just yeah. ask Arsenal about Saliba last spring. Right. Ask Liverpool uh, about Van Dyke. I mean, you can kiss the title goodbye without a player like that. So I think tactically, if they keep this group fit... There should be no reason why they can't be in the race. I'm not. I am yeah. not saying it is. It should be the expectation for them to go on to win the league, especially not after you know the preseason expectations we had for them. But what we've seen them do against quality teams and lower opposition teams is sustainable. You know, yeah. Ange's style is a style. You know, we talk about all the time, can you be adaptable to who you're playing? Can you break down a low block or can you withstand pressure from the best? He, they've done it against Arsenal. They've done it against Liverpool to an extent. I know 10 men, 9 men. Yeah. But if you can do it against them, you can kind of do it against anybody. And if that's the case, it's up to maintaining that standard. And can they maintain that consistency even if it is the same group of players? That remains to be seen, obviously. Um, but yeah, massively positive signs for Spurs. This is a tough game against Luton, the win they pulled out. Ten, ten men, men. Went, they went a goal up when they had ten men. So yeah. a huge fight, and you can see that Ange is clearly you know, evoking some big emotions out of these players, and they're fighting for him in a way they haven't done uh, you know, for Conte or whoever in, in years past. So fascinating stuff from Spurs. Gotta love where they're at after the Kane departure. Um, Brandon Johnson, the player, speaking of which we haven't really seen. Is he injured at the moment? He hasn't been really getting as yeah. much game time as I thought he would. I mean, would've. listen, that front three with Kulisevsky. They're firing. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be tough no to, get, to yep. get in there. Yep. All right, let's move on to the UCL. Just a couple of brief things to touch on. I think we got to talk about this Newcastle PSG game, which we previewed last week. What did you make of what was an unbelievable atmosphere at St. James's? It was. It was a cauldron, as you described it. Um <laughs> I want to talk about PSG first and foremost. I think Enrique got it wrong. That was obvious. We know he likes to mess around with systems and personnel. He's an unorthodox coach. And I think when he gets it right and has the right squad, it, it's extremely hard to beat him. But the 4-2-4 did not work. And what confuses me most is why he didn't change it. Because... Your, your best player, Mbappe, just wasn't in the right positions. He yeah. was picking it up deep, if at all, and and centrally. For me, that's just not where you want him. You either feed him through and behind, or you give it to him out wide and say, hey, do something. And that just didn't happen. And at halftime, I'm thinking, okay, he's got to change something here. And he goes out with the same team. I just I didn't really understand it. Kolo Muani on the right, uh, on the left, you know, wing didn't work, just wasn't in the game. Usman Dembele had one or two chances, but for the large part, wasn't in the game. Yeah, credit to Newcastle for, for their defensive organization, but, I mean, PSG, I, it just it, it blew my mind how little their effective players were in the game. I, I think that should be that should be plan A. Yeah. Is, is, is you look at Kieran Trippier and Dan Byrne, you say, go at these guys, and they just didn't do it. So I, I, I think that was a huge whiff from from Enrique really I think he, he he just totally got it wrong and and didn't change it I think 
a midfield two. I thought Zaire Emery looks like a really good player, but he's like doing the only bald progression in the team mm. at, what is he, 17? 17. 17-year-old in the Champions League. He's doing all your, your progression. Ugarte's not that guy. He's a good player, but he's not the most technically gifted player. So you're playing two midfielders, one of them is 17, who has to do everything to get the ball up to the front four. I just, I really didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, it totally got the midfield balance wrong. Totally I wrong. Because if you look at Newcastle and their strength, it is pressing a midfield with Bruno, with Tonali, with Longstaff. And they just had an extra man there at all times. And even when PSG did break through the lines, Newcastle got back in time. And then it was very static in, uh, in, in, in the attacking area. So I think, yeah, you, you hit it on the nail there, the nail on the head there. Enrique just got it wrong. And, and Newcastle are well-drilled in their system. And with that crowd, that's what you get. And that's the Champions League. So a massive props to Newcastle. What a result for them and their Huge. fan base. Huge. They uh, deserved it. They did. United. We called it Zahad score at Old Trafford <laughs> yeah, against did. United. Uh, it was a back-and-forth game. Another bright spot, Hoyland looking great. Hoyland looks fantastic. Great signing yeah. so far. However, this game is kind of a microcosm with United right now. It was just a mess, and their defense is all over the place. Onana had another stinker. They, they got lucky with a penalty that it was missed because of yeah. a mistake Could Onana made. And there's just no underbelly. There's just no – they got a soft underbelly. There's no core. Um in this team, and so when when the going gets tough, they get going. As yeah. in, they leave. Yep. They, don't, they don't get tough. So, massive issues for United. That's now two defeats from two in the Champions League. Uh, yeah. You're looking at barely getting out of the group, if that. Maybe yep. Europa. Yep. I think <laughs> this, is, this is just the inconsistency with them. They either get it done on the attacking side, which, which they kind of did. Hoyland was great. They created... And then they ship three goals, could have been four. The defense looks all over the place. Amberbat at left back, Lindelof, you know, all just, just nonsense. It was dreadful. Or they keep it really tight and squeak by Brentford or squeak by Burnley, right? It's, right. it's, it's, it's so inconsistent, like, like we've been saying. And I think it's just, like we said earlier, Ten Hag, he's got to figure something out because whatever this plan is, it's clearly not plan A, the way they're playing isn't working i think i to highlight a couple positives hoyland looks great mount looks good too mm -hmm. i think mount looks looks sharp so listen the two new signings that ten hog brought in look okay but got to find some balance in this team bruno on the right not really buying it no he wants to be central anthony's back could that help maybe but it's a lot of work to do it also comes pitch. i think a lot comes to rashford too because yeah I mean, the conversations we were having last year in terms of United in the top four race was like, okay, they look great, but if Rashford's goals go, they go. And Rashford hasn't been scoring, and United haven't been scoring. So it's kind of like, well, what do you expect? Because Hoyland is doing a good job of, of nicking goals, and he's made a great start to life at United. But it's hard to imagine a Man United team competing for the top four without Rashford functioning at his very best. Oh, it's yeah. as simple as that, and it's harsh, but... It's the same thing for Arsenal. Like if, if if all of a sudden Saka and Martinelli stop, you know, scoring, you're gonna have issues. Uh, I do think it's more accentuated for United because their system is not as well suited to you know getting goals from elsewhere as an Arsenal or a City. Uh, I think the way they play is suited. You know, you can get more goals from midfield, whereas United, I you see Casemiro getting the odd goal, but it's not out of structure or tactics no. it's kind of just kind of gold mouth Set piece, grand maybe. Or, yeah, or something yeah. like that yeah that's not sustainable not recipe for success 
Uh, last point what we want to touch on, Arsenal in the Champions League went away to Lyon. Uh, Elia Wahi scored a great goal to yeah. give Arsenal the, the uh, sorry to hand Arsenal a loss. Lons got the win. Arsenal went up in this game, and Jesus scored a nice goal, but they lost. And they're not in a tricky group, but if they make a mess of this, they could uh, they could have egg on their face. They could. I, I I wouldn't press the panic button yet. I think sort of a perfect storm for Lons. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there was it, it was a culture there. Yeah. I mean, I watched a the great atmosphere. It was, it was fantastic, and. They just hit them on the break, didn't they? And uh, and they were clinical. And Arsenal will have to adapt to plan B and figuring out a way to win, especially in Europe when plan A doesn't necessarily go well. And I think Arteta showed that against City. He, he showed that his team can can keep a clean sheet against against the best team in Europe. But I think he needs to find some other ways of playing when they're a goal down in, in Europe or in the Premier League and need to break a team down maybe or just need to do something different. Mm. I think he needs to find that because we know they're great when everything clicks. Right. And, th- and that is probably 85% of the time. Right. But that 15, 20% of the time where you know, like the going gets tough, like you said, for United, they need to find a way to win. Yeah. So th- yeah, for me, it, it, was, it was just a case of perfect storm for long credit to them. Uh, they they caught him out twice and and Arsenal had some chances to to get back in it didn't take him so so I think I think they'll be fine I think they'll still get through uh, I just think they're stronger than the other teams yeah so uh, you know they just they they got caught out away from home in a cauldron in France it can happen can happen we've all been there in France no. <laughs> uh, I think one just last thing to touch on is experience in Europe for this Arsenal team I mean you're not looking at I think I'm thinking of guys who have Champions League experience. I think Partey at Atletico did. Jesus with City did. That's it. I mean, Ardegaard briefly in his career when he was at Madrid, yes. Yeah. But there's not a lot of guys. He's won it. He's won it. He's won it. Scored the winning goal. Um, so I think if you're Arsenal, you have to work on getting as much experience as possible in the legs. Rice has got a couple seasons of Europa Conference and, and Europa proper. But you need growing opportunities and i think this will actually be a good opportunity for them to look back on and say it's a hostile atmosphere it was the perfect storm like you said all right how do we respond and they'll grow because of it can they grow enough in this season to win the champions league i don't think so but if arteta and this project are going to be here for as long as we think they are you know they're going to be they're going to be moments like yeah, this. there's going to be stumbling blocks yeah. all right uh, that's going to do it for uh, this week's episode uh thoroughly enjoyed it uh we'll international break so i think we'll We'll return with some good random segments next week, perhaps, to yeah. to fill to fill the international break. Uh, thank you, for listening, and we'll see you next week.